morning. Good to be with you this morning. My name is Michael. I'm one of the pastors here. If you're new with us, uh, welcome. Thanks for worshiping with us this morning. I want to draw your attention to your program. Hopefully you got one when you came in. If you didn't, grab one on the way out. Um, There are several announcements on there. I'm going to highlight a couple of those for you. Um, So we have our Veritas Equipping Conference coming up this coming Saturday. So if you are interested in that, today is the last day to register so we can plan accordingly. So if you want to go to the Equipping Conference, you waited to the last minute, you still have today to register, all right? Then the other thing I want to make you aware of is next Sunday is Feed a College Student Day, all right? So we are a next generation. Yeah, there you go. Some college students are in the room, all right? Um, so we are a next generation church that we would say that we are a multi-generational church that prioritizes the next generation. Uh, one of those groups would be college students. And so we have a ministry called the Salt Company, which is our college ministry. It's not a parachurch outside of the church organization. It is a ministry of Veritas. And one of the things that we want to do as a church is to help those college students get connected to the bigger body of Christ here at Veritas. So next Sunday, if you see a college student sitting around you, the encouragement to you guys would be grab them and take them to lunch afterwards, all right? Now some of you are going, I don't, I don't know them. Well, they don't know you either, all right? So um, get to know them. And you're like, well, somebody else already said they were going to take them to lunch next week. Well, you have a phone. You can get their phone number and tell them you're going to take them to lunch the following week, all right? So no college student's going to be disappointed if they get free meals for multiple weeks in a row, all right? So just encourage you guys to do that. Um, if you're trying to find more college students at 930, this whole section over here is full of college students too. So so, like, I got to fi- find out where they are. But there are also college students in this room, right? Maybe. There we go. All right. So a few. You're going to get lots of meals next week. All right. All right. So uh, this morning, we're going to be in Genesis chapter 1 again. Uh, in Genesis chapter 1, we're going to talk about caring for the world, caring for the earth. Now, we all want our world to be a better place. We all want our world to be a better place. That's be a better place because that's not one of those uh, questions that I have to just ask like, hey, show of hands, who wants the world to be a better place? Like you all do. We all do. Right. Like nobody is sitting in here this morning going, man, the world is really good. I wish it was worse. Right. Like we don't we're not going to do that. So uh, we can all be in agreement that we want our lives to be better in this world. We would love our kids lives to be better in this world. We would love our grandkids lives to be better in this world. The problem comes in the way that we think we're going to make the world a better place. There are so many options in our world of how the world, how our earth could be a better place, right? Somebody might say, well, well, the answer is like we all just need to go green and cl- care about climate change more, right? Somebody on this side goes, well, if we do that, then we're not going to have any money to do anything else, and we just really need a balanced budget, and that's where our world would be better. Right? Or maybe over here, it's like, well, if public schools were better, and we put more energy and effort and money into public schools, then life would be better, the world would be better. And somebody over here is going, well, if you just gave parents the choice to do that, then life would be better, right? Now, some of you are like, oh, we're already like hitting on all those topics this morning, right? Like, just calm down. Those are just illustrations for all of us in the room to go, yeah, everybody has a lot of opinions on how to make the world better. Biblically, how do we care deeply for our world and help it flourish? Like, what does the Bible say about caring for our world and helping it flourish? What is the best way to care for our world? We're going to look into God's word this morning to find what is the best way to do that, all right? So 
If you've got a Bible, again, turn to Genesis chapter 1. We're going to finish chapter 1 today. Some of you are like, didn't you say this series was going to be like a semester, and you've already spent three weeks in chapter 1? There's 50 chapters. Like, so we're going to be in this for three years, right? No, we're not. Like, we're going to move much quicker after chapter 1, but there's some really foundational things here. In fact, near the end of Genesis, we're going to preach eight chapters in one Sunday, so it's a four-hour sermon that day. Um, it's going to be a long, long day for you, all right? So, not really. We'll try to keep it to two hours. Um, so uh, Genesis 1, chapter, uh, verses 28 through 31. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, behold, I've given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth and every tree with seed and its fruit. You shall have them for food, and to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning on the sixth day. So what we've seen up until this point is that God existed. That's the big Big thing of all Genesis, in the beginning, God. This is not the story about us. This is the story about our God. And God, in the beginning, created the heavens and the earth. He creates everything. And now we've come to the end of the sixth day, the end of his creation. He's created everything. And on the sixth day, he created mankind. And last week, we talked about how he created mankind in his image, both male and female. All right? Now, in his creation, what we have seen, Ian talked about the first week, God shows off his powerful control. But not only is God powerful enough to speak the world into existence, but he shows intimate care for his creation. And he cares about the details of this life. So you've got great power and control and intimate care. Then he creates mankind, and in his image is how he created them. Very different, the pinnacle of creation, different than all the rest of creation. Because mankind, both male and female, were meant to reveal God to the world. That's what Jordan talked about last week. We're meant, the way that we are created, to show the world who our God is, to show the world who our Creator is. So here we get to the sixth day, and he finishes the sixth day of creation, and how does he describe it? It's very good. After mankind is created, all of creation is very good. Now, up until this point, almost every day he goes, and this is what happened, and it was good. And this is what happened, and it was good. But on the sixth day after mankind is created, it changes. It's not just good. It's very good. So they've been created in his image, and it's very, all of creation becomes very good at this point. How are they, what are they supposed to actually do with their lives, though? We know now why humans were created, but what, were, what are they supposed to actually do? Let's go back to verse 28. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the rest of these things. So God's going to give, we know that from Genesis 2, who he's talking to here is like Adam and Eve, all right? First man, first woman in creation in the Garden of Eden. And he's going to give them an assignment. He's going to give them a responsibility, and he's going to provide for them to be able to accomplish that. And here's the assignment. Be fruitful, 
multiply and fill the earth. But before that, he said, it says, and God blessed them. And don't we all want that in our lives? The blessing of God, the goodness of God flowing to his created beings. Now, why did he do that? Why is the goodness of God, why is the blessing flowing to them? Like the, it, the blessing here is not prosperity. Like they are in the garden with God. There's no need for prosperity. They have everything they could ever want at this point. Because they have a relationship with God. They are walking in the presence of Almighty Holy God. That's the blessing here. That they are in relationship with their God. It's amazing. So they have this blessing of God's presence. And then he says, with that blessing and also being made in my image, I want you to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. This is the first mandate or commission for the first humans. And the original intent here was for creation to multiply, to have babies, all right? To get outside of the Garden of Eden and multiply and reproduce, all right? The whole goal, that was the original intent here. Now, immediately when we start, start talking about having babies, I know that there's a lot of you in this room that struggle with that. And I want you to know from the beginning of this sermon that I'm thinking about you, that I've prayed for you coming into this sermon, and that I know it's hard. Maybe you're unable to have kids because maybe because you're single. Maybe you're unable to have children because of biological function, infertility. Maybe you're kind of past typical childbearing years. I'm thinking about you guys, and I want you to just, my one request is just to hang on. We're going to get to that in a second, all right? But what I don't want you to see is like, well, this must mean something else. No, right here at the beginning was like, I want you to produce people that are going to ex- like expand and fill the earth. And what are they filling the earth with? God's blessing and God's image. Children are a blessing from the Lord, right? They're not an inconvenient, annoying, expensive burden. Now, sometimes they might feel that way, right? Like, sometimes we feel like annoyed or inconvenienced by kids, but I promise you, you are also annoying and inconvenient at times, right? Like, sometimes, or actually all the time, they feel expensive, right? <laughs> like, that's just the case of it. But in God's economy, children are an absolute blessing from the Lord. Absolutely. In Psalm 127, that's what the psalmist says, 127, 3 through 5. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. Now, some of your translations may say right there, children are a blessing from the Lord. So, behold, children, children are a heritage or blessing from the Lord, the fruit of the womb, a reward, like arrows in the hands of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. Like God is saying, children are an absolute blessing. Children are an absolute blessing. Unfortunately, that's not always what our world says, though. Oftentimes, our world says differently. I want to read something to you. I was, somebody on our staff reminded me of this. They told me about this the other day. So the royal family has been in the news lately, obviously, with the passing of Queen Elizabeth. Some of you know more about that than you probably should, right? Like, you, you were there a lot. But anyway, so there's Prince Harry and Meghan Markle. And last year... They were awarded an award, and this award was from an organization called Population Matters, and they were awarded this award because they 
decided to stop having kids at two. Now, I don't know all the reasons for that, but I want to read you why they received this award. Did I just drop that? Yep, there we go. I was like, where did that go? All right. So it says, this is from an article about them receiving the award. The charity sees population growth as a major contributor to environmental degradation, biodiversity loss, resource depletion, and climate change. And the Duke and Duchess of Sussex are helping to ensure a better future for their children and providing a role model for other families, according to the charity organization. Quote, having a smaller family reduces our impact on the earth and provides a better chance for all our children, their children, and future generations to flourish on a healthy planet. We commend the Duke and Duchess for taking this enlightened decision and for affirming that a smaller family is also a happy family. A smaller family could be a happy family. A larger family could be a happy family. This is garbage. This is garbage. Like, for an organization to say, we're going to make society better... And the environment's going to be better if we just limit the amount of kids. goes fully against Genesis chapter 1. That's just messed up. That is not the way God originally designed things. Children are an absolute blessing from the Lord. A heritage from the Lord. Yet our world is saying, we just need to make our environment better. So in order to do that, let's just stop having kids. That goes against the first mandate to the first humans. It opposes God's command. And in Psalm chapter 115, the psalmist says, May the Lord give you increase, you and your children. May you be blessed by the Lord who made heaven and earth. The heavens are the Lord's heavens, but the earth he has given to the children of man. So God, bless me. Like, allow me to have more children. And he says, The Lord is the Lord's heavens, but whose is the earth? It's been given to the children of man. So that there's not only just this assignment to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth, there's this responsibility to do something with creation that the earth has been given. And that's what we see next. It says, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So he's saying, I want you to be fruitful, multiply and fill the earth. So extend God's image and blessing outside of the Garden of Eden. And when you do that, you're also going to have some responsibility. You're to subdue it and have dominion over it. Now, this is like kingly language. I want you to, you're in essence being king of the earth. You're to have sovereign rule over this planet. Now, Tim Keller is a pastor in New York. He's often written about culture and growing cultures and written a lot about uh, this word subdue. And his definition is this, to harness the raw and untamed nature of something. To harness the raw and untamed nature of something. When I was a kid, uh, my aunt and uncle owned a bunch of land. They had some horses, and they decided they wanted to get some wild Mustangs. All right, They wanted to get two wild Mustangs. Now, I don't even know how you get wild Mustangs to your house. All right, We didn't have those in South Carolina that I know of. They had to go somewhere else and capture the wild Mustangs. All right, I played golf growing up. I didn't know how to wrangle you know, a bunch of wild Mustangs. All right? So... They get these wild Mustangs, and they wanted to, like, break them so that they could be ridden. And it was such hard work. It was crazy hard work for them to take two animals that are so powerful and so wild, and they had to build different, like, things for the horses. They had to do all things different than all the rest of their horses to harness the raw nature and to tame it and to bring it to be able to be used better. Guys, 
It is hard work to subdue and have dominion over all creation. Work is not a bad thing. Work shows up before Genesis 3 and sin enters the world. Like, he didn't say like, oh, everything's good. You can be lazy. You don't have to work. Then sin enters the world. Now you got to work. Like, work was there from the beginning. It's a good thing. I'm not just talking about your occupation, but everything that you do in life, you should work hard, not for your own glory, but unto the Lord. So it is a good thing, but it is a hard thing to tame and subdue and steward the creation. But we're going to work hard to put it God on display. And next week we're going to talk in Genesis 2, Genesis 2.15. It, the instructions to Adam and Eve were to tend to the garden, to cultivate it, to help it flourish. When that happens, we get, when this multiplication happens, when we're subduing the earth, having dominion over it, we're going to get more people and more ideas And communities are going to form and cultures are going to form and towns and cities and countries form. It's a great thing to move beyond the Garden of Eden to develop a created world. That's awesome. But we don't do it for our sake. We do it for God's sake. Remember, he's the point of the whole story. Let me give you some examples of what this looks like. It's like taking a piece of grain and somebody takes that raw, unharnessed nature of a piece of grain and they can end up turning it into bread, right? It's amazing. Like you take the raw and untapped, untamed nature of like, you just grab a grape. And like, if you're a traditional Southern Baptist, you turn it into grape juice, right? Everybody else turns it into wine, right? So like you take these little things, they're raw and unharnessed. And as ones that rule over the earth, we take them and make them into something greater. We take sounds that may not make sense. And people can put those together and make beautiful music out of. Like, that's what we're talking about here in Genesis 1. Like, to take athletes who have this raw and untapped, unharnessed, like, potential to bring them together and do something amazing. Like, that's what we're talking about, subduing the earth and taking this raw, unharnessed nature of something and building it and working hard to make something beautiful out of it for God's glory. Now, it's hard work, so how is God going to help them do this? Verses 29 through 30. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the heavens and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has breath, I have given every green plant for food. So he gives them this assignment, this mandate, this commission to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Then... He gives them this responsibility to subdue the earth and have dominion over it. But now he's going to provide for them another gracious blessing from God. Hey, I'm going to provide you food. Initially, it was just plants, all right? Some of you are like, wait a second, we're all supposed to be vegetarians? No, all right? So in Genesis 9, Noah comes about and he says, you can, have, you can eat every creeping thing, all right? All the meat eaters said amen. Right? That's usually like amen, right? Like deep voices usually come out right there. But... Like, so he's going to provide this gracious blessing to, man, I want to give you something that's going to help you work harder. This is your food to eat. And the plants and the animals, they're given to people. They're given for people, not the other way around. But when we start to, like, treat lower things above people, we're outside of God's design. 
If you care more about your flower beds and your gardens than your neighbors, you're outside God's design. If you care more about your pets more than your neighbors, pets more than people, you are outside God's design. There was an order to creation. Your pets and your flower beds were not made in the image of God. People were. Now, you can give absolute glory to God working in your garden. Awesome. Yes. But don't do it at the expense of people. You can do great work at your job. Don't do it at the expense of noticing people at your job. All right? So some of you are going, that sounds great. That sounds like a great plan. But why is our world so bad? <laughs> like, that seems like a great way to make the world better, to multiply God's image and blessing into the world. Why is it so bad now? Because we can't look at Genesis 1, 28 through 31 without looking at Genesis 3. We're going to preach this in a couple weeks, but many of you know the story of Genesis 3. God tells Adam and Eve, hey, you get to enjoy my creation. You get to enjoy being in relationship with me. You get to enjoy the blessing of my presence. But there's one tree in the garden you don't need to eat from. You need to trust me that I'm good in that. But they really wanted to be like God. And they were tempted by the serpent, Satan. And they give in and they eat from that tree. And sin enters the world. And because of sin, the world is broken and cursed. The sin, or the world becomes accursed at this point. And in Genesis 3, we're not going to look at all of it, verses 15 through 24, you see the consequences of that sin and how that affected uh, this world. And so in Genesis 1, what you have is be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. And that requires cooperation, togetherness, right? But what happens for the consequences of sin? There's enmity. There's strife. There's pain in childbirth. There's conflict between man and woman, husband and wife, making that togetherness and being fruitful and multiplying, filling the earth really difficult. Or, I don't really want to do this because this is painful. But then Genesis 1, subdue the earth, have dominion over it. Well, it's going to be painful sometimes to eat. You're going to have to sweat to work the ground to get plants now. Well, I'm Genesis 1, I'm going to give you, God says, plants and animals. In Genesis 3, we find out that the ground is cursed. That thorns and thistles arise at this point. So what was this beautiful creation has been marred by sin. And we are still experiencing the consequences to this sin. And the worst consequence of all is that, remember, God's presence was the blessing. And now Adam and Eve are separated from the presence of God with no access to the tree of life. What was a blessing has now become a curse. And there's pain, and there's death, and there's distorted image bearers, and there's difficulty, and there's suffering. And multiplication has become difficult, and the curse has affected this physical mandate to multiply into all the earth. So what if you can't have kids? There's still hope. There's absolutely hope. Maybe you're unable because you're single. Great, Jesus was single. I think he probably fulfilled the mission of God, right? Like if you step outside of God's design, it would be you stepping outside to say, oh, well, I'm single. I still need to go have kids with somebody. That's, that's, the, that's the command, right? No, that's outside of God's design. 
Now, for those of you who struggle with infertility, guys, that's not how God created you. But that is the effect of a broken and sinful world. And it's terrible. And I hate that you're having to deal with that kind of consequence. That's awful because that's not how God designed it. But here's what I want you to know, guys. I believe that after Genesis 3, this physical mandate to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth changes to a spiritual mandate where we're to still multiply God's image and blessing into the world. So God's mission, God's mandate did not stop. So he is not through with you. If you're unable to have biological kids, you are still part of his mission. You are absolutely part of his mission. That is good news. Because the mission has now expanded beyond just multiplying physical image bearers into this world. We are to multiply this image and blessing into the world. That's the principle forever. But God chooses humans to do this. Like, we just sang a song. Even the rocks could cry out. Like, they, they recognize who God is. They could cry out and worship, but he's chosen us. He's privileged us with the ability to put him on display. And now it becomes more than a mission to help our world flourish. It's now a mission to redeem and reconcile all of creation back to himself. And so it becomes this spiritual mandate. And what I want to do is I want to walk through several scriptures to help you see that this mandate continues even after sin enters the world. So Genesis 9. In Genesis 9, Noah has come onto the scene and God destroys the whole earth with a flood, right? I mean, you know that Bible story even if you didn't grow up in church. God destroys the whole earth. Noah and his sons are the only ones left. Listen to what God tells them. And God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. The mandate didn't change. Then in Genesis 11, we're going to get there in several weeks. We're not going to look at it on the screen. But you've got the earth is, or the people have grown and grown, and there's a lot of them. And they love life. And it's great. And they think they're a big deal. And so then they start making a tower. They're like, man, we're going to make a tower it's going to go all the way to God. And they start building this tower, and God goes, yeah, you're missing the whole point of this. You're trying to make a name for yourself, and it's never been about you. So quit making a name for yourself. What does God do? He confuses their languages and scatters them across the earth. Because they wanted to make a name for themselves. So what do we do? How are we going to reach all these people that have been scattered and their languages confused? God finds this guy named Abram that becomes Abraham. And he says, hey, I'm going to take you, Abram, and this is what I'm going to do in Genesis 12. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country. So don't just stay where you are, just like Adam and Eve. Don't just stay in the Garden of Eden. I want you to go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and in him, in him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abraham, I'm going to take you, and I'm going to give you, I'm going to choose your family, and you're going to go and grow into this great nation known as Israel. And all these people are scattered everywhere, but my mission has not changed. It's still about me. 
So Abram, I'm going to use that family to become a great nation. And that nation is going to be a blessing to the world. He's going to, they're going to be a blessing because they've been blessed. And they're not to hoard that to themselves, but they're to take it somewhere else. And then Abraham's son Isaac gets the same kind of commission in Genesis 26. I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven, and I will give to your offspring all these lands, and in your offspring all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. And then his son Jacob, in Genesis 28, your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south, and in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Do you see this mission keeps continuing? It doesn't stop When sin enters the world, it keeps going generation after generation. Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. Jesus even did this. In Luke chapter 4, it says, And when it was day, he, Jesus, departed and went to a desolate place. So he went out by himself. And the people sought him and came to him and would have kept him from leaving them. We really like you, Jesus. We would prefer that you stay with us. We don't want to go out into a mean, broken world. So can we just have kind of holy huddle with you, Jesus? What is Jesus' response? But he said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well. For I was sent for this purpose. Like, here's this spiritual commission that Jesus gets... It's moved beyond a physical commission here. Jesus understands it. Paul understood it in Romans 15. And then Jesus, he's getting ready to ascend to heaven. Many of you know this passage. In Matthew 28, this is what he tells his disciples. Go therefore and make disciples. Learners of Christ, little Christ. Like that's what a Christian would be. Like I want you to make disciples of Jesus. Go therefore and make disciples where? Of all nations, fill up the earth, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. Now look at this, guys. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. What do they get when they're making disciples? They get the presence of God, the blessing. I, and God blessed them. And he said, be fruitful and multiply. Hey, go make disciples. Go multiply my image into the earth. And surely I'm going to be with you. This physical mandate has now become this wonderful spiritual mandate that for generations of generations of generations, Christians have done this. Because that is why we are sitting in this room today. Because those 11 guys took that seriously. To multiply God's image and blessing into the earth. The Great Commission is just like the First Commission. Where we're going to multiply his image, multiply his blessing. We're going to work hard. We're going to steward creation. And we're going to obey all that he asks of us. Everything he asks of us. And in Acts 1, we find out that we're going to be witnesses to the ends of the earth. Yet how do we try to make our world better? Can we do this? We say, nah. We could just reform the political system. Reform the educational system system bring some social reform that's how we'll make the world a better place and what is god saying no 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 no. i have something way bigger than that you're putting your hope in something far smaller you're leading out on a mission that's gonna maybe help some change but not ultimate change because what is the problem it's not a political system 
The problem is people have wicked hearts and they're separated from Almighty Creator God. And the only way to reconcile creation back to the Creator is what? Through a perfect sacrifice. Jesus. This is the gospel, right? This is the good news. That we take the gospel of Jesus Christ as ministers of reconciliation into this world to proclaim him, to multiply his image through reproducing our life into somebody else's life. We're to multiply this blessing through discipleship, through working hard, through stewarding creation. So how do we help care for our world the best? The best way to care for God's world is to obey God's word. The best way to care for God's world is to obey God's word. Because obedience changes the way we think about systems in our world. Obedience changes the way we think about kids. Obedience changes the way we think about culture. Obedience changes the way we think about how to steward our time and our talents and our retirement. We're worried about politics, but we won't even obey Jesus to say, be patient at the grocery store. We're worried about the economy, but we won't encourage somebody who's struggling. We're worried about the environment, but we've yet to evangelize anybody that we know that's lost. We're worried about Republicans, but we haven't reproduced our life of following Christ in anybody else. We're worried about Democrats, but we have not made a disciple of anybody else. We are worried about the wrong things because the problem is far deeper. And God's blessing existed until the people were disobedient. God's blessing was there until they were disobeyed. Now, I'm not telling you to separate from the world. We need more Christians in the political world. We need more Christians in the educational system. We absolutely need those things. So don't hear me saying we should just separate and get out of all this. But you go in differently to those things recognizing that just a policy or law is not going to change people's hearts. That's going to be Jesus. And the blessing is going to return when reconciliation comes. And this is what Jesus says about reconciliation in us. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself. And gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself. Not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, He made God made Jesus to be sin who knew no sin. So that in him, we might become the righteousness of God. The blessing became accursed. We lost the presence of God. We were separated from it. The only way to reconcile that is through Jesus. And church, you are now a minister of reconciliation if you're in Christ, if you're a new creation. You are an ambassador for Jesus. Go represent him and represent him well. Put him on display. Multiply his image. Whatever occupation you have, Wherever you live, wherever you play, 
Go put his image and blessing on display. Because when this happens, we know the end story is that all nations and people and languages and tribes, people from the ends of the earth are worshiping our creator God. So how can we do this? How can we multiply God's image and blessing? I want you to consider how to reproduce your life into others. We've, we've made a thing called the Discipleship Starter Kit. We would, if you're like, I don't even know where to start, how to do that, there's, you can pick up one from the Resource Center. Just investing your life into somebody else, multiplying God's image and blessing into somebody else. How else do you do this? You work hard. You steward the creation that God has put at your care. You steward it well, and you steward it with intentionality. When we live this way, the world will be transformed. But we all know that the world won't be transformed fully until there's a new heaven and a new earth. And we all want that, amen? The best thing that we can do for our city, the best thing that we can do for our world, we've said this many times from this stage, is to put more devoted, mature followers of Jesus in it. That's the best thing that we can do. Put more devoted followers of Jesus into the schools. Put more devoted followers of Jesus into neighborhoods. Put more devoted followers of Jesus into the political world. Because one day, Revelation 22 is going to be true. In Revelation 22, verses 1 through 5, it says this. For this is speaking of heaven. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the city. To the middle of the street of the city, also on either side of the river, the tree of life, the tree of life that Adam and Eve had been separated from, with its twelve kinds of fruit yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants, image bearers, Blessed image bearers will worship him and they will see his face. We don't have to live our lives any longer putting him on display because we are going to be in the presence of God worshiping him. And his name will be on their foreheads and night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun for the Lord God will be their light and they will reign forever and ever. Man, that's the vision of what we want to see happen, right? Until that comes Let's be a church that multiplies God's image and blessing. Let's be a church that works really hard unto the Lord. Let's be a church that stewards God's gracious gracious blessing really, really well. Because when that happens, people will be reconciled back to God. Amen. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for this opportunity to look at your word. Thank you that we don't have to look at culture to tell us how to live. We can look to the truth of your word. Father, I pray that this morning, God, we would take your great commission seriously. That we would not be people who simply say, yeah, that's great. But we would be people who say, sign me up. And Father, Help us as pastors and staff of this church to equip 
our people to do that well. We need your help. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.